Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast, sponsored by therelaxeddog.com. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog are well. This week, we've made episode 25, and we'll be talking to Sarah Dixon about her Siberian husky, Maui. But first, in Toronto, a townhouse condominium development in Vaughan is pet friendly, but it's uh, compulsory that your dog has a DNA test. And this is to ensure that your dog does not leave any surprises in areas where they shouldn't. And I have heard of other, several other places doing that, so it looks like that might becoming a thing. The most popular answer to I can't believe my dog ate for August was Nala and she fished out the dead baby possum out of a uh, bucket full of water. So this month, or sorry, the September Entries for I Can't Believe My Dog Ate are Archer and the Plastic Light Fitting, Fergus and the Lucerne Pellets, Pebbles and the Plastic Satchel from the Tray of Chicken, uh, Ico, who only ate his dog food, he was a good boy, and Eddie, who likes to eat rabbit poo. So if you want to jump on to the so if you want to vote for any of those, jump on to the Facebook group. Now, I feel a little awkward talking about this, and it has taken me a couple of takes, but um, I have purchased a nice piece of equipment to help me record a little bit better, a Rodecaster Pro, and and it doesn't quite know what I did spend on it, but it is nice. So I have set up a page on a platform called Kofi, K-O-F-I, the relaxed dog. Uh, If there is anyone that feels that they want to contribute something monetary, um, I think unlike a lot of other sites, I can't really give any sort of bonus material or learning material. So, um I'll just sort of put that out there, and if someone does, you you do, and I'll be extremely grateful. But if you don't, well, I'll just carry on like normal. So that site again is ko-fi, and then look for slash the relaxed dog. Anyway, here's this week's interview. Welcome to the relaxed dog. I'm here with Sarah, and we're going to be talking about Maui. So, as per usual, could you take us back in time a little bit before Maui and lead us into the events on how you guys got together? 
Yeah. So um, she was my first real personal dog after I sort of moved away from, you know, my parents' home and was on my own. Oh, there goes the dog. And uh, I had been kind of doing a lot of volunteer work as a trainer and sort of learning a lot about training and kind of starting some behavior modification with dogs. Um, I was apprenticing under someone who ended up not being a very good person, but it got me into dog training and got me into being interested in that. And um, when I was able to, basically, I decided that I should get my own dog. And I had always wanted a Siberian Husky. And pretty much right when I bought my house and was getting ready to move in, I found an ad for uh, one for sale kind of close to me. And that was how I found her. Oh, nice. And she was just the, the one off. You didn't have any choice of litter or anything like that? No, she was, uh, she was two and a half years old when I got her. Um, the people who had had her bought her as a puppy and they also got a male and they had planned to breed them. Uh, I don't know why they got Siberian Huskies because they lived on a farm and the story is the male that they got got killed at six months old when he got ran over by their combine. And then she was wandering um, as Huskies like to do and they chained her up and then finally decided that they should sell her after basically neglecting her for quite some time. Hmm. And what sort of environment did she, did you have sort of set up? So she's come from an open area, but changed up and your place at the time. Um, I just had, you know, a a regular single family. Uh, It was a detached home that I had purchased with a fenced in backyard. And she adapted to living in the house very, very easily. Oh, that's good. So any initial sort of issues when she sort of, came into the house yeah we did have some issues um one thing was we had cats and she was actually a bit of a cat killer in her younger days so we had to train her not to go after the cats which she actually was pretty good about um and the other thing was when we first got her she was quite aggressive towards smaller dogs um particularly when they would kind of come up and get in her space sort of under her neck And uh, we worked through that as well. Um, And then just, you know, training her to to stay close and not run off was actually fairly easy. And as soon as she bonded to me, I could actually let her off leash and she was pretty good. But at first, you know, not really knowing that much about dogs and not really knowing that much about the breed, I would let her off leash and she would wander and then I'd have to chase her down. But otherwise, <laughs> she was great. She was a pretty easy dog to integrate. She was very loving. Um, I, you know, feel like she was probably pretty grateful, for lack of a better term, to be out of the situation she was in. So did it take long uh, in the initial stages? Because, I mean, when you say uh, particularly take, taking her off lead, a lot of people are going to say, Huskies, what, a recall? migrating um you know she she had a great temperament and um 
I, I don't really attribute it to any particular training that I did because I really didn't know what I was doing then. Um, she's the dog who really made me into a decent dog trainer. And we can talk about that a little later. Um, she just had, she had a temperament. She really bonded to me and she, you know, she would do things because she wanted to, but, um, she had a pretty good temperament for wanting to stick close. Like for example, I had a roommate for a while who would leave her in the backyard despite me telling him multiple times not to do that. And our fence at the time was not very high. So she would jump the fence, but she was such a good girl and she really wanted to stick home and stick close to me that she would just walk up and down the block in front of our house and try to find people and then would lead them back to our house and be like, this is my house. Can you get them to let me in? And that's what she would do. And if she couldn't find somebody, I'd come home and find her laying in front of the front door. Okay. So she had, I think for a Husky, she had a very good homing instinct and she definitely um, bonded very strongly. Oh, nice. And did you find that that was a, a, a fairly instantaneous type thing or? Yeah. Yep. So I, we had an instant connection the second I met her. Um, when I went out to see her, they had her chained up. She was really thin. Like I would say she was emaciated um, and there was, you know, dog poop everywhere in her little area that she could reach with her mm. fairly short chain. Um, so she was quite neglected and I walked over and she leaned over against my legs and looked up in my eyes and that was it. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Yep. It's uh, not a, not an isolated thing. I think that happens to a, a lot of people like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you have any sort of like uh, mental scars, do you think, from the time that she was chained up like that? No, I don't think so. I mean, like I had worked in, I had volunteered at the shelter and worked with rescue dogs enough that I, I had seen worse and known that people were capable of, of doing not very nice things to animals. Um, so that necessarily doesn't bother me now. And, uh, you know, she got out of the situation and she had a good life. Unfortunately, there's other dogs that aren't as lucky. Um, but, you know, I still do try to work with rescues as much as I can and educate people about particularly the laws against, um, against people who abuse and neglect animals, because I think that that's a big issue is that the laws aren't strong enough. Um, I don't know what it's like in, in your country, um, but in Canada, it's, it's gotten better, but people really can still do pretty horrific things to animals and, and really have no consequences for it. Yeah. That's sadly, I think that's in a lot of places around the world. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that there was uh, cats when, Maui first came into your place. Um, yeah. Was there a lot of cats and were there any, any other animals? I, um, she was my only dog at the time, but we had four cats. Um, two of them actually I took from the farm that she was on because they also were like, take the plethora of barn cats that we have. So I took two of the kittens um, and I had three other cats 
or sorry, two other cats. We had four total in the house. My sister ended up taking one of the kittens and I kept one. So we had three altogether. <laughs> and I still have three cats now, but we also have three dogs now. <laughs> My husband is just like, these animals just keep multiplying. I'm like, I don't know. We could have a baby. And he's like, keep getting more animals. Nice. <laughs> 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 I suppose that was uh, good that she had that uh, initial introduction to a couple of the kittens that came with her as well. I think that. Yeah, I'm not sure that she knew them from the farm. I think on the farm, she would have been probably, if she was free, she would have been more likely to chase and kill them um, for a couple of reasons. Like one, she didn't really have a lot of enrichment there. So if they got close to her, she probably would engage in, in some predatory behavior just for something to do. But also I find like, a lot of dogs really can differentiate between the cats are calm in the house. So they don't really act like prey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when cats are outside and they run, that can sort of stimulate that prey drive. So I always was very careful with, well, I'm careful with any dog and cats, honestly, but I was always very careful with her and the cats and they were separated when we weren't home um, because I just, you know, you never know if they get into a fight or they start ripping around, that could, that could kick in. And it's always a risk with dogs and cats, and especially with a dog with a history of chasing and killing barn cats. I didn't want that to happen. Yeah. I saw uh, recently where there was a mixed household and the owners had put in a series of of uh, planks and walkways uh, that they bolted to the walls mm-hmm. so that the cat could get around in several rooms of the house without yeah. having to t- ever touch the floor so that they could cohabitate with the dogs but and the owner could peacefully leave knowing that it's uh, having two segregated areas. So. But that's a, a lot of work to do in your house <laughs> if you're going to do yeah. that. I always admire people that really build the crazy cat highways. You can see in the background on my video, we've got a couple of shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, we've just got a couple there. And uh, we've just ordered a floor-to-ceiling cat post that has like five or six shelves on it. So they'll be able to go up that and then over. Um, so we do, we have a pretty good setup for the cats. We also want to build a... Um, enclosed patio so that they can go outside. So we have plans, um, but we, I don't know if we'll ever get to the level where we'll have it all around the house. I'd love to, I think it's so cool when people do that um, just for enrichment for the cats. Like I think they would love it. We had talked about even um, right now we live. So I have a, I have a full business and um, we actually live in an apartment that is on the, uh, the upstairs in the back of the building. So we could actually like cut out holes from our living room and build a little cat track that will go around the top of the store. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they could come out and you would be able to see them and they could go around basically the roof line of the store. We had talked about doing that, but I don't know. It depends if we're here for like 40 years, we'll probably do crazy things like that. But uh, nice. <laughs> for now we're like, I don't know if we're going to be here that long, but we <laughs> bought, it's a, it's an old church that we bought, which was pretty before that was a funeral home. So it's kind of a neat building and it's super convenient to have the apartment upstairs hello kitty ah sounds excellent um so going back to maui so she's been in your house for a couple of months yeah and you're 
starting to get her sort of uh, trained up. Mm-hmm. Take us down a little bit of that sort of road. Well, this is, I think, where our story starts to get interesting. So um, when I first got her, remember how I said that I had, I was sort of working with that lady who was turned out not to be a very good mentor. So the training that she taught me, I will say it was effective, but clunky. It was very much like an, a very much like an old school punishment dominance based training method. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's not even like, no, nowhere even close to like even modern balance training. There was no rewards whatsoever. Um, it wasn't thoughtful use of, of pressure or correction. It was just totally over pressuring, over correcting. Um, and so that was, I just thought that was what you did. And that's how I worked with dogs. Um, and, you know, like I worked with dogs through some behavior issues and it was successful. But now with the knowledge that I have, you know, this is like 20 years later, I'm like, holy cow, like, first of all, I can't believe that that worked. I can't believe I didn't get bitten a lot. And, uh, you know, I just could have done things a lot more sophisticatedly. So when I started training her, it was really a lot of that, like, just quite forceful. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. And it was fine. The dog, she was well-behaved, you know, she was well-behaved. But then what happens, I started to go, well, you know, I wonder if I could do more things with this dog. And when I started to investigate with like the, you know, like the community that was also involved in that style of training, we didn't really have answers on like how you could train a dog to do agility. So I was like, well, I'm going to put her in an obedience class just to see what happens. So I I enrolled in a local class that happened to be a clicker training class. And she was absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, she was engaged. She was so brilliant and so smart. And like, she caught on to things, right? Like the first class, the first session, and she loved it, especially for a dog who had never had a history of that style of training. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. She was so whip smart at it. And just, it was amazing. And so from basically that first class with her, I was totally hooked. And, um, you know, we went through that class together and the lady who taught it, her name was Donna McLaughlin. She is an amazing animal trainer. Um, I ended up sort of mentoring under her, which was a much better situation than the previous arrangement. And, um, you know, if I had, uh, I had, I had started working um, some professional dog training at a, a pet store. Um, if I had cases that were sort of out of my wheelhouse as far as knowledge I would refer to Donna and she would let me come along and watch and uh, she let me come out and and train her chickens and her other animals and we did summer camps for kids um, for like science summer camps Um, we would go and do the animal learning portion so we would do presentations with her mini horses and chickens and dogs um, on how animals learn and animal training to kids. It was really an amazing experience. And I credit her a lot and the dog for being the trainer that I am, because if I didn't have necessarily that kind of dog, I don't know if the contrast between the, tr- the two training styles would have been as drastic. Mm-hmm. Because like she definitely accepted the previous training, but she wasn't, 
she wasn't invested in it. And seeing her like really light up when we were doing the, the clicker style training, um, it was such a contrast. And I really got hooked on that. Whereas if I had had a dog who maybe was a little bit easier to train through the older style methods, maybe I wouldn't have noticed that much of a difference and maybe I wouldn't have changed so much. Um, and working with a dog who's not as easy to motivate I think it does make you a better trainer. And that was my first personal dog. Hmm. And how was Maui with, say, the initially with the other dogs there at, at agility training? Oh, she was fine. Um, you know, I said she had some issues with smaller dogs. Um, you know, we were able to resolve that pretty quickly just by helping her realize that it wasn't a threat and that she was relaxed. Typically with other dogs, she liked to say hello. She would greet them and then she was over it. She didn't play with a lot of dogs, but she had a few dogs that she did like and initiated play with in her life. Mm -hmm. Do you have any uh, favorite sort of dogs at that stage? Um, no, she liked, uh, she liked a dog that I fostered once from Mexico. And uh, she liked, we had another husky for a while that she would play with. And then she also liked uh, a while later, I got her grandson and she instantly took to him. And um, she tried to initiate play once with my dog, Dexter, who when Dexter was, I still have, when Dexter was a puppy, he worshiped her. He like just worshiped the ground that she walked on and she wanted nothing to do with him. <laughs> and one day she tried to initiate play with him and he was like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And she said, okay, well, that was your one chance and I'm never going to ask you to play again. And she never did. So he, he screwed it up. He missed his chance. <laughs> no. And that was kind of her. She was like, she liked to greet other dogs. She was never really aggressive towards other dogs other than the small dogs in the beginning. Um, but she kind of like, she would give you a chance. And if you didn't take it, then too bad. She liked big males. <laughs> generally, <laughs> And her grandson. I think she knew that he was related and then she liked our other husky and then one foster and that was about it. Okay. So um, with the agility, how far did you progress with Maui there? Well, we did end up doing some trials um, and she got a couple of qualifying runs, but it wasn't super successful. Uh, you know, it was more something that we did for fun together. She, um, she, didn't, she didn't really start to compete her and I together until she was quite a bit older. So we didn't, it wasn't like I started with a one or two year old dog. Obviously she was only, she was two and a half and I got her and it was quite a while later in her life that we started agility. Um, but I was able to do a lot of other stuff with her. She, um, I did a lot of obedience training with her and she got her, her introductory level obedience title. And we got partway through her companion dog title um, before she developed some pretty bad back and hip issues. And I pulled her out of traditional obedience. And then I did rally obedience with her, which was a little bit easier on her back because she didn't have to do the long sits and the long healing patterns. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say um, for, the, was, for the, sorry, go I, ahead. I was just going to say for the people that don't quite understand the, the differences in those two areas, can you just briefly summarize that? Yeah. So um, tr your traditional obedience have a long healing pattern. So you will do, you know, you'll go out and you'll heal for quite a duration of time. 
um, throughout the ring while the judge watches you and calls a pattern. And um, you also have to do at the beginning level a full one minute sit stay and a three minute down stay, which is fine. But the one minute sit stay got to be difficult for her. Uh, but particularly it was doing the long stretches of healing because of how they're trained. They have to keep their head up and it become it became um, too much for her, her back and hip issues. But when you're in the rally obedience, um, it's a lot more quicker paced. So you'll tend to heal a couple steps and then you'll do a sit and then you'll heal a little bit and then you'll kind of turn and then you'll do a sit or a down. So it's much easier for a dog that has physical limitations to do that sport. And she was a wonderful rally obedience dog. Um, she blazed through her first level of titles and um, graduated with, uh, she got her, what do we call it? It's a rally. I think it was the rally novice and she basically got uh such high grades that she got like an extra distinguishment with that but i can't remember what it was called i'd have to look at her titles oh, nice. and then i basically she had um deteriorated to the point where i decided not to do that with her anymore either um, mm -hmm. but she also had several trick titles and uh she was a certified therapy dog uh what else did we do we also did some dog sledding, uh, um, ski racing okay, together. Yeah. So we did a lot of stuff. Is, that, is it ski during, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Yes. Uh, and she wasn't so keen on that. She's figured that I should be pulling the sled, but she tried it anyways. Okay. Nice. So a well-rounded sports sort of, uh, not, not career, but, um, Hobby, hobby sports, yeah. and, and yeah, some we did a lot of stuff some to a professional stage for a breed that is traditionally difficult to train. She was a very amazing introductory professional training dog because she was she was a dog who I had when I started training professionally and who got me really interested in that. Um, and it wasn't until I put that first level obedience title on her that I was like willing to take. Um, paid clients. At that point, I was like, okay, I actually do know how to train a dog to do basic skills. I think that I can start to take people's money. Um, so we did that together and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. Like it was like, let's just see what, let's just see what we, what we can do. Let's, uh, let's have fun. Let's, as long as you enjoy it, I will, I will do it with you. And uh, we learned a lot of stuff together. Hey, you could be saying that uh, sort of Maui's taking, well, you're accrediting her for basically your career path. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because like I said before, I don't know if I would have gotten into the style of training that I, I do. And I don't think I would have been as good of a trainer, um, like just mechanical skills. And the, one of the things with Huskies is they won't do things if they don't feel like it's worth it. So they, first of all, you have to really have a good relationship with them. They have to want to do it for you, but you also have to really learn how to use rewards-based training. Like she would not do things for you if she didn't think it was fair. So it wasn't so much as you have to get over the idea of that you're bribing the dog because it wasn't, it really is more like you're, you're building behavior through successive approximations and rewarding them. Um, but, you know, she wouldn't do things like, you know, when I tried to start training her in sports, she did not respond at all to um, 
training, if you tried to be like, we're going to do it this way, it had to be fun for her. It had to be a team exercise and she it needed to be worth it for her. And it wasn't just about treats. Like I had to be engaged. So there had to be that part of me in it too. And if at any point she felt like I wasn't, uh, I wasn't having the right attitude. If I started to take it too seriously, she'd be like, we're done. <laughs> so she was very good at training me to even not even just mechanical skills and how to do training, but how to keep a positive attitude. Excellent. Yep. Yes. So we're doing this for fun. And if you, if you notice that you're getting too stressed out, that's it. Yeah. If you start to get cranky to me, I won't do it. <laughs> it has to be, you have to have, you have to have your attitude right, lady. <laughs> So tell us a bit how you got the idea to put her into therapy work. Um, that was after we had moved uh, back to British Columbia. When I got her, I was living in uh, living in Alberta, which is another province in Canada. And um, after we moved back here, I just uh, the lady that I was doing agility with was also she certified uh, therapy dogs for St. John's Ambulance. And I just thought, well, what the heck? You know, she's not, she likes people. She's not really scared of anything in the environment or wheelchairs or anything like that. So I thought maybe that's something that she could do as she got older. Um, and she did pass her certification. We didn't do much actual therapy work, but what we did, she, she really enjoyed. It just wasn't something that I could really dedicate a lot of time to, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But she... Um, she was a really neat dog in that she had a way of making people love her. <laughs> she was, uh, I would say the only dog that I've had that has really, my entire family has really bonded to. Mm-hmm. Um, like my other dogs are very much mine, but they're just sometimes they're a little bit more difficult to handle. So they're not as easy to be like, Oh, mom and dad, you know, take care of this dog. Um, so she was a dog that really my whole family bonded quite strongly to. And like we had friends who would take care of her as well. And they bonded quite strongly to her. Like she was an extension of their family. And she was a dog that if you, even if you didn't like dogs, you would like her. Mm-hmm. She had a very interesting way of drawing you to her without overpressuring. Like she was not over exuberant in her greeting, but it was enough that she wanted to let you know that she was interested in you. She wanted to be affiliative, but she was like, you know, I'm, I'm ready when you are. So she had a really good way with people that way. She was absolutely, you'll see the pictures of her. She was drop dead gorgeous too. So everybody pretty much wanted to pay attention to her, but she was very calm and polite and accepting of people and very tolerant. And um, she was a dog that just loved kids adored kids she was drawn to them and she would love to just sit with them incredibly patient with children we had a little boy next door who whenever he was out in the yard she would ask to go out and she would just sit with him and they would play together for hours you know as as a dog that makes me wish almost wish that I had had children um, but my husband and I don't want to have kids which is why we have three dogs and three cats (laughs) So that I can fulfill my maternal instincts. Um, But she almost makes me wish that I had had kids because she was so naturally good with them. Oh, nice. Um, So when she was growing up, having that sort of bit of a calm nature, did you have any particular favourite games and things like that that she liked to play? Um, 
she like to do anything that involved her getting food? <laughs> <laughs> Basically. So I think that's part of why she liked training is uh, it was a, a good mental challenge for her. Um, but she also got snacks out of it. But as far as games, she wasn't really a dog that played with toys a lot um, or anything like that. She enjoyed her snacks. She enjoyed her people. She loved going on adventures. Uh, so we, and thankfully, like I said, she was pretty good off leash. So I could take her off leash in big open areas. And that was kind of, that was sort of her main loves is her people, her, her food. She enjoyed, she enjoyed training, but she enjoyed doing things with me. Uh, also, if they involve snacks, that was bonus. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you can't blame her for that. I like to do things more if there's snacks involved too. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said big open areas. What about uh, trail hiking and stuff like that? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I'm. I, that's one of the nice things about uh, you know where even where I lived in Alberta, I was living in in a town called Lethbridge, which is about a hundred thousand people, so it's not huge but we lived very close to the river Valley. And so there was acres of trails that we could go and walk on right by my house, which is great. Um, and you know, where we live now is fairly rural. Like I'm in a, a small city. It's about eight to 9,000 people, um, in the mountains. And then there's another small city about 15 or 20 minutes away. That's maybe 10 or 11,000. And then there's a couple small cities like that. And then a bunch of rural, smaller communities surrounding it. So we have enough population to sustain our business, but there's so much open area here that you can just go out and explore with the dogs and you never even see another person. It's amazing. Um, Especially after like, you know, Maui wasn't with us, but we were in New York for three years and just moved back last year. And the contrast of like living in the city and then coming back here, I'm just like, oh, I appreciate this so much. Mm -hmm. And it's so good for the dogs. So on the trails, did the um, prey drive ever kick in? Oh yeah. Um, you know, we had, uh, we had encounters with critters and deer and bears. Um, but by that time, you know, that was when I knew actually how to do a little bit more sophisticated training. So I had actually like really conditioned a good cue for come when called and I could, I could call her back off of pretty much everything. So she never, I don't think caught or killed anything, but when I first that's not true. When I first had her, we, she used to go find, um, she, she used to find birds in the grass and she would leap, she would flush them out of the grass and then she would leap up into the air and catch them. Um, so, but then as she got older, she couldn't leap up that high. But mm-hmm. one time I was walking her with my mom and, uh, there was a pigeon that was injured and she got it and she ate it oh. in front of my mother, which horrified her. It's kind of funny. Mm. And I was like, well, nah, whatever. And then the other thing that she used to get into when she was younger, when we lived in Alberta is they would, uh, this is when I had the other Husky, they would find nests of like little baby mice or voles or whatever they were when they were still like tiny and helpless and pink. And she would grab them and kill them and fling them out. And the male Husky that I had would eat them. And that was their routine. She didn't want to eat them. She just liked to kill them, which is kind of also horrifying but if you aren't really a dog person you gotta understand that sometimes dogs do horrible things that disgust people and that's just part of what dogs do that's all right plenty of people do horrible yeah. things that are disgusting as well but as she got older she didn't too much get into the animals because she was i think probably too slow to catch them and she listened better 
And uh, it's more out in BC here. It's more bigger animals like deer and things like that. And then in Alberta, she would find little mice and, and birds in the grasses and things like that. Okay, you, That's what she would dispatch. You mentioned bear. Can you? Uh... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we don't, we haven't run into bears too many times, but there was once when I was walking her and uh, Nick, her grandson, who we had at the time. And I think I might have had Dexter and uh, a dog that we were babysitting, one of our clients. And we came up around the corner and I saw a bear cub go up the tree. And with bears, if you see a cub and not the mom, you want to be really care- really concerned because they're generally, we have usually black and brown bears around here. They're very scared of people. It's extremely rare for them to be aggressive towards people. They tend to run away. Um, so we saw, but if you see a cub and no mom, the moms can be quite protective of the cubs. Mm-hmm. And that's typically when you'll have issues with bears. So we saw the bear go up the tree and I just said, dogs come. And they all four of them turned on a dime and came right back to me and we left. But that's really the only time we've seen a bear. There was one time where we were hiking up the back of the mountain that's the the ski hill in another local neighboring very close by town rossland and my aussie who i still have now brew he ran into a bush and um we didn't see it but very likely he ran right into a bear we heard a big growl and the bush shook quite a bit and he turned around like he had you know obviously ran into a giant bear (laughs) And he was quite terrified. <laughs> um, but we used to have them go through our yard quite a bit in the house that we were in. And Maui always let us know she wasn't a dog that barked very much, but she had a very specific bark if she smelled a bear. So she would always let us know. She would go out, you'd see her nose go up in the air, and then she'd go, bark, bark. And that was her bear bark. The funny thing with her is she started to notice that the other dogs would come and check it out if she did that. So what she started to do is uh, if I'd given them all treats, say bones to chew on, and she finished hers first, she would go over to the window and bark. So the boys would come over and see what she was barking at, and then she would go steal their stuff. (laughs) She was very, very, very smart. Oh, buddy, are you okay? (laughs) The pig sneezes. She was very, very, very smart. And uh, also... One of the brightest dogs I've seen as far as learning from observation, like I never taught her that. She she just happened to notice that when she would bark, the boys would come and see what was going on. And she used that to her advantage. Um, but she also watched me once train Dexter to when we were doing uh, the Karen Pryor Academy program. She watched me train him to get into a big cardboard box and lay down. And that's a fairly complicated behavior. Like there's there's multiple parts to that. It's something that can take a lot of time to train a dog. Um, you usually have to teach it in several pieces. And anyways, I finished training him and I had this little reward session and ended it and sent him off. She had been laying on her dog bed as I asked her to watching the whole time. And as soon as I said, okay, Mala, you can get up now. She walked over to the box, trotted in and lay down and said, where's my cookie? <laughs> very, very she nice. watched the whole thing, saw what he was doing, saw that he was getting snacks and was like, I can do that. <laughs> and dogs typically are not very good at learning that way. It's very, very interesting. Cats, interestingly, are quite good at learning observationally, but dogs know, but 
yeah, she watched him do that potentially quite complex behavior and then just did it. She also taught herself to ring bells to go outside because we had a foster dog that we taught to do that. And she was like, okay, I'll do that. She's very, very smart. Oh, very, very nice. Yeah. Did uh, she have any other like particular mannerisms that were sort of like just, you know, that's Maui? Yeah. I mean, she was a character, right? Um, that's one thing I, I miss about the Huskies. They were kind of a bit of a pain and not the easiest dogs all the time, but they have really cool, um, really cool personalities. She, uh, well, she liked to talk quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So she would talk at you, um, and she would tell you her feelings and, uh, she howled. So she's taught, uh, my two current dogs, how to howl. They're not Huskies, but they know how to howl so we can get them going. And we would all do, we would all howl together. So she taught the other dogs how to howl. Um, she used to do this thing, particularly to my mother and my one sister, um, because I think she knew she could get away with it with them, where if they were, say, sitting on the on the couch or a chair working on a la on their laptop, if she wanted attention, she would sneak up behind the laptop and then bark at them <laughs> and scare the crap out of them. And uh, <laughs> if that didn't work to get them to stop, she would just slam the laptop shut and say, no, you have to pay attention to me. But she liked to scare them. And she really only did it to my mom and my sister, Jessica. She wouldn't really do it to, to myself or my husband. Um, but she did it to my mom and my sister. And if it didn't work, she would slam the laptop shut. But she would come over and talk at you. And she would nose at whatever you were working on or she needed attention. As she got older, she got uh, very into begging for food because we follow the old dog rules in our house where when you get old, you don't have any rules, which means you can do things that you're not allowed to do when you're four or five, when you're 10 plus. So she got very rude and of course got reinforced for it because we were like, here, have some nachos. So she got pretty much whatever she wanted. And so she would come over and yap at you while you were eating. And yeah, she got to, she also got a little bit of sundowners as she got older and I think she got a little bit kind of crazy in the evenings and she would, I think, forget that you better suffer and start asking for supper again. Mm -hmm. um, but she was just a very funny dog. Um, the, the one thing that really sticks out to me is her stalking and scaring my mom and my sister. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have, um, even going back when she was younger, were there any off limits places in in the house or was no, just um no the only thing is like she was always really great in the house she never destroyed anything um she never chewed anything but like i said she was two and a half so i think she was sort of out of that puppy chewing phase but she hadn't she'd never been in the house they never had her in the house so it was really cool because she never had an accident i don't know if she just was like i go to the bathroom outside uh, but she actually was always really terrified of her own poop, for lack of a better term, I think because of how she was kept. But if you had her on leash and she went to the bathroom, she would try to run away from it. So she liked that we had a big yard where she could sort of go to the bathroom and, and get away from it. Um, but she never went to the bathroom in the house. She never chewed anything. She was impeccably well behaved. So she always had full reign of the house. The only thing was, like I said, for a while, the dogs and the cats were separated. When we weren't home, but no, she was, she was very easy. 
Um, there was a time where we did restrict her access to coming up on the furniture. And the main reason was she would not get off for us. If we asked her to, she'd be taking up the entire sofa. So that was the consequence. Well, you know, you just, you don't get access to the couch at all then. And, uh, eventually she wormed her way back onto being on the couch as you know, she was very good at charming you into things, but for a while she wasn't allowed on the couch because she decided it was hers. She wasn't aggressive about it or anything like that, but she just wouldn't move. And so there was no couch then. Do I ask about sleeping arrangements? Um, she never slept in bed. She slept with us in the bedroom, uh, on her own bed on the floor. Um, I don't typically actually have dogs sleep in the bed because we have too many cats sleeping in the bed. Um, and I, I'm kind of the type of person where I toss and turn a little bit before I fall asleep and the dogs don't like that. So they tend to um, not want to stay long in the bed anyways. And she would get, I think quite hot. So she, she slept with us in the bedroom. Um, she never had to be kept in a crate, um, but she slept with us in the bedroom. She had her own bed or she could sleep on the floor. Um, she would never really come up for more than a short cuddle on the bed. She, she never did sleep on the bed. Oh, nice. How was she uh, like grooming wise? Um, she was pretty tolerant of, of nail trims and brushing. Of course, being a husky, they constantly spew hair. I don't know even where it comes from, but they can, they constantly regenerate it. They shed like crazy. You know, she passed away five years ago and we still swear we find her hair <laughs> in places. Like it's just absolutely bonkers. She didn't really love getting baths, um, but she tolerated it. She would sing her song of the people, sing, sing the song of her people the whole time, <laughs> as much you'd like to do. Uh, but yeah, she was really good for any kind of handling and, and touching and grooming and things like that. Oh, nice. Um, one of the questions I ask everyone is to complete the sentence, I can't believe my dog ate. Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, my brain stopped working there for a second. I was going to say um, a disabled pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's got to be the most ridiculous, shocking thing she ever ate. She actually was really good about not, again, she was great in the house. She was really good about not eating our stuff. But when she was upset with you for whatever reason, she would open the cupboards and take things out of the cupboards and put them on her bed, but she'd never eat it. She'd like take the bag of crackers out of the box. She wouldn't eat it, but that was like her thing is she would take things out of the cupboards. Mm -hmm. But the, probably the most shocking thing she ever ate, especially if you ask my mom, was that that poor pigeon that was injured in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> nice. I can relate to that. Our dog, Marley, she sometimes, I think it's just the attention thinking. Um, every now and then, she'll just go and grab something that she will, that she knows she's not supposed to have. It could even be like a, a loaf of bread or something. And then pick it up carefully, not puncture the packet or anything, and bring it over and say, Well, I've picked this up. Now you have to interact with me. <laughs> right? Yes. Now you have to pay attention to me. I know you're going to care about this loaf of bread. So yeah. I'm sure that's a very effective strategy for her as well. <laughs> ah, that, very nice. Um, did she have any sort of like other weird habits or anything like that? Um, 
you know, like I said, she was a husky show. She was quirky, but there is a story that's in my head that I would like to tell about her. Um, that is kind of like just a weird, a weird habit. So when she was, I believe she was 13. I think it was her last summer that we had her because she passed away just a couple of weeks before she turned 14. Uh, we ended up going, we went camping with some family in Penticton, BC, and she came along with us, just her. And um, some, some of the friends and family members that were there, they wanted to do what was called floating the channel. So in Penticton, there's a basically the river that flows into the lake is um, it's man made and dug out into a channel for quite a ways. So it's really um, safe and shallow and low current. And a lot of people will float down it in inner tubes and whatever. And it takes about two or three hours to do the whole thing, depending on where mm. you go. And so they wanted to do that. And I was like, well, I don't know what about the dog. And um, we'd done a shorter float once and she kind of like swam along with us. But I was like, well, she's 13 years old. She can't swim for two hours. And we thought, well, we'll just try. We'll get a big inflatable boat and we'll put her it will bring a life jacket for her if we need to. And, you know, she can sit in the boat if she wants or she wants to get out and swim. She can do that. Well, she got in that boat with me and she was just perfectly content. And she sat in that boat with me the whole two and a half hour boat ride. As happy as could be, super content, didn't fidget, didn't want to get out, even when there was ducks swimming in the water that I'm sure she would have loved to, to eat. Uh, she just sat there and, and leaned up against me and snuggled and, and she soaked up the sun and people were, you could also walk along, there's trails along the channel and everybody's like, oh my gosh, look at that dog. <laughs> and she, yeah, she just hung out. And uh, I found something on my computer actually that I had written about that um, just recently that I wrote shortly after that talking about how, um, you know, she could be at a lot of times a very frustrating dog and a very challenging dog. But when I was having hard times with her, I should just think back and remember, remember the boat. Uh, so I, I uh, found that again recently and I was like, Oh, <laughs> the nice memory of her. Uh, nice. Um, health wise throughout her life, any, major issues we did have some problems and it was because of unfortunately the um neglect in her early years so she at about five years old one day i came home from work and she couldn't stand and uh, i took her into the vet and they x-rayed her and said that basically she had very severe arthritis in her hips particularly her left hip um, they thought that she probably had been injured, um, probably hit by a vehicle. So we figured that that was, you know, very likely when they were still letting her wander around that she got hit by a car when she was younger. Um, so that was something that she started on medication and supplements for quite young. And obviously she did very well. Like she lived until almost 14. Um, but then we had another incident when she was older. I, I can't remember exactly how old she was again, where she, was I think trying to jump into a vehicle. My, my dad was gonna lift her in, but 
you know, she said, let me do it myself. I'm perfectly capable. She wasn't perfectly capable. She tried to jump into the back of the truck before he could get her and lift her in. And she missed and fell and, and hurt her back and couldn't stand again. That would have been... It's 2012 or 2013, so I don't want to do math at this moment in time, but like I said, she passed away five years ago, so I'm not sure how old she was. But again, she couldn't stand. And uh, at that time, we took her into the vet, and we found out that her back was also in pretty poor shape, which it probably was starting uh, at the initial incident at five. They just didn't x-ray her back. But she had uh, she had spondylosis, which is spinal spinal arthritis, uh, that was fairly advanced, and she also had degenerative disc disease. Mm. So again, they thought that that was probably related to previous injury. Um, but you know, she was fairly active, and with meds and supplements, she lived a really good life, and she was quite active. Uh, even until like her thirteenth birthday, we took her out for a nice off leash walk and. She wasn't fast, but she came along with us and yeah, she, she had a good long life despite having some medical issues. Otherwise, uh, we had a couple of bites, bouts with, uh, pancreatitis that was okay. surprising and she had actually some anal gland issues. Um, but we figured out the pattern with that and were able to, to resolve that. She had a couple infections and had to have them drained and things like that. Yeah, always a fun part that bit. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it's not very common in large dogs, but, um, you know, sometimes when they haven't had a good start to their life, you have, it takes a little while to get their bodies balanced too. So once we got her figured out diet wise and, uh, we got her on a good preventative schedule of emptying them, she was fine. And then eventually she didn't need to have anything done with them anymore, but yeah, otherwise, um, quite a healthy dog. Yeah, no, excellent. Excellent. Anything else sort of coming into mind? No, I think I've told all the stories that I can think of about her. Um, oh, I do have one more story. Um, I forgot about this. So for a while I was trying to, she was purebred and she was registered and I was, I decided I would try to do showing with her, um, which I ended up not really getting into, but she wasn't really a show quality dog, I found out anyways. But um, I ended up getting a young male. And uh, when she was in season once, I did my best to keep them separated. Um, but she was in a crate and I left him out because that was the only way that he would shut up. And um, he ended up getting her pregnant with her inside the crate. So... <laughs> We, uh, we had, um, three lovely puppies and that was I, my first and last foray into breeding dogs. I had eventually wanted to actually breed them when it was planned, but nature had other ideas. So we had three lovely puppies. Um, they were wonderful. I think there might be one who's still alive now, uh, but I haven't been in touch with his owner in a while. Um, but one of them went to some friends of mine that had a sled dog kennel in Alberta. And she unfortunately um, died at about eight uh, from a virus. She got a virus that attacked her liver and passed away. Oh. And her other daughter, Luna, who was, um, 
She was the only puppy that Maui cared for in the litter. Remember how I said she was pretty indifferent with dogs. Mm -hmm. She was a good mother, but she was done with them as soon as possible. Right. Like she's like, I don't want to feed these things any longer than I have to. I'll go in and feed them. And that's that. She had the one puppy, Luna, who she would play with. And um, sadly, we didn't keep her because I felt like three dogs at the time was insane. Yet now I have three. Um, we didn't keep her, but she went to a friend of mine who was in uh, North Carolina at the time. Um, her name is Michelle, and we had been friends online for years and years. And uh, she lived a great long life, and she herself had puppies, and that's how I got her grandson, um, mm. who is a whole other story, uh, that dog. But uh, yeah, that's how I got her grandson. And uh, Luna actually just passed away um, this summer at uh, just about, just after 14 as well. And I don't know, like I said, I haven't talked, the boy went to a guy in Ontario, but I haven't talked to him for a few years. So I don't know if he's still around. Oh, I think it's uh, nice that she, that, that Maui got to, to hang out with her grandson. Yeah, she actually really liked him. Like I said, that was one of the dogs that, one of the three dogs in her entire life that she really took to and would play with. And she took to him like right away. It was really neat. Oh, nice. Very nice. Well, thank you very, very much for taking the time out and having a chat about Maui. I appreciate it a lot. I'm sure everyone listening has really enjoyed hearing all about her. Yes. And for anyone who's listening that is now going, oh, I want a husky. Don't get a husky. They're horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you want to let people know a little bit about what you're actually doing and any contact if they want to do something? Yeah, for sure. So if anybody's curious, um, I am actually a professional dog trainer and um, behavior consultant and I live in British Columbia, Canada. So if you want to take a look at what we do, um, I have a couple of uh, businesses that you can look at. The most active one, kind of what my husband and I are dedicating most of our time to right now is our business, which is called Barks and Recreation. So you can find us on Facebook. We're the one in Trail BC. There's a few others, um, but we're really active on social media. We do doggy daycare. We do training. So there's lots of really cool uh, photos and videos that we post as well as my husband's really good at posting a lot of funny memes and videos and things like that. Um, so you can definitely check out Barks and Recreation. I also have um, another sort of subsidiary business that I'm not as active with, but uh, it's called Odyssey Animal Behavior. Um, and that is sort of like where I do more of my content that is Uh, dog training and behavior education for dog professionals. So I do, I used to teach all over North America, but, um, you know, now with COVID, I'm just doing online stuff. So I do online classes and webinars and things like that for um, dog professionals who want to learn more about behavior problems. So I have those all listed there and I have a separate Instagram and everything that I post um, all my personal dogs on. So if you want to check that out, that's probably the best places to follow um, on Facebook and Instagram. Excellent. And should I say anything about the resurgence of a other project that is coming back shortly with Rebecca? Oh, yes. Um, I was like, what project? <laughs> yeah, my memory is not great. Um, yes. So I also, uh, I do a podcast as well. 
um, which is called Hair of the Dog. And I do that with my co-host, Rebecca Hoffman. We have been on a hiatus for quite a while um, because Rebecca actually moved a couple of times and my life was crazy. And she's actually kind of settled in Portland and uh, we're ready to start recording again. So we're going to be re-releasing. So that's called Hair of the Dog. And we talk about dog training and dog behavior. And sometimes we get guests on and we also like to um, drink a nice craft beer and talk about the beers that we're drinking. So if you like craft beer or sometimes we have cocktails and you also like dogs, it's a great time. It's educational as well as entertaining. It's sort of like the drunk history of dog training is a good way to put it. <laughs> but it's very casual. Um, and we do have a whole bunch of different, really interesting guests on. So that will be coming up. We're on um, Facebook and everything as well. So it's called Hair of the Dog Podcast. Beer and dogs, you can't go wrong. Yeah, unless you don't like beer. And I guess there are people out there that don't drink for a lot of reasons. But uh, that's definitely one of my... My guilty pleasures is a good quality craft beer. Uh, Got to stay hydrated. That's right. <laughs> Thank you very, very much again for your time, Sarah. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Um, it was nice to just really kind of take a trip down memory lane and, and think about my special girl and tell everybody about her. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoy the show. If you did... Why not share it with a friend? Do you know an awesome dog and someone that wants to share that dog's story? You think they would be a good fit for the show? Let them know, give them my details, and who knows? We might get them on. Until next week, stay safe, and remember, your dog is family. <laughs>